Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their story. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. everyone. Quick trigger warning. We do talk briefly about sexual assault in this episode. So if you are not in the mind space to be able to hear about that, feel free to skip, come back at a different time, or check out one of like our 300 and some odd episodes. I used to number number them, so I knew how many there were, but I just, you know, a little lazy. So I got behind on that. Uh, I mean, I can go in the in the background of the podcast and actually check the exact number. Uh, but again, lazy. And so <laughs> there's 350 some, I think. So feel free. There's categories on the website that will tell you, um, you know, what certain episodes are about. Anyways, I hope if you're hanging in here that you enjoy the episode. Bye. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm here with Daniela. Daniela is a second time podcast guest. So if you haven't caught the first episode, I'll link it up. Check it out first, because then this will make uh, more sense, because we're not going to go deep into her story and rehash all that. Uh, But Daniela is the author of Uncultured, a memoir of cults, war, and belonging. Daniela was born a third-generation member of the infamous Children of God religious cult, and you can hear that on the other episode, and grew up being trafficked around the world before escaping that life and moving to America at age 15. She put herself through high school and graduated as college valedictorian before commissioning into the U.S. Army as an intelligence officer. That's where she really started thinking about group behavior and seeing it, well, everywhere. Daniela deployed twice to Afghanistan, 2011 and 2014, and became a member of one of the Army's first female engagement teams, which when I read that, and I'll talk about it, uh, I was like, wow, lady, you got a lot going on. An experiment that put women into deliberate ground combat for the first time in Army history and eventually led to the repeal of the sexist combat ban and the gender desegregation of the entire U.S. military. She is a proud daughter of the 101st, that's the unit in the Band of Brothers, a recipient of the Presidential Volunteer Service Award from Obama, y'all, actually my favorite uh, president to date, and is currently pursuing a master's. Didn't you already get the master's, or am I wrong? have one more class that got one more delayed. class ah <laughs> oh, yes I thought I saw something about you you posted something about it on Twitter so a master's of arts in organizational psychology at the Harvard Extension School she focuses her research on group behavior social norms culture extremism and cults well Daniela thank you so much for coming on the podcast today thanks for having me super excited yeah so I asked you to come back on because your book, which uh, I follow you on Twitter and all the all the places, but mainly on Twitter, that's where I catch you. 
and you were talking about it. And I was like, oh, this sounds like a great book. I can't wait to read it. And I was like, do you want to come back on? And you're like, sure. Do you want a copy of the book? I'm like, yes, please. And I, I couldn't put it down, y'all. This book is amazing. It's so well written. And it is and riveting. I just like, holy crap. So congratulations on such an amazing book. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really hoping uh, everybody will pick up a copy. I'm not kidding. I have bragged so much about it. I I've told everybody, I'm like, you got to get this book when it comes out. You just have to get it. Because uh, it's just, like I said, and it's so insightful into what you went through, but also the title just fits it so well because you you do, you, uh, you connect the dots on how so many different things can be cult-like or cult-ish. Uh, and we see it a lot nowadays. Um, but yeah. And um, let me tell you a, a fun story about the title. So yeah, first of all, I want to say that as a, you know, as a self-respecting ex-evangelical, I'm glad I wrote a good witnessing book that you like <laughs> tell all your friends about because <laughs> that was part of my goal. And that's why it's coming out in September so that everyone reads it and then buys copies for their girlfriends and friends for Christmas. Um, but the fun story is I actually, I was so kind of like inspired and mentored and writing in the vein of educated mm -hmm. that the title I came up with was cultured. And then this goes to show, I think, writing in a team. So I wrote this book with yeah. a couple co-writers that really, really, you know, I just say when you're writing about group behavior, you write with a group. Um, and so my co-writer mislabeled it uncultured. And the second I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that's the name. That's brilliant. Um, so I'm so glad you loved the book and it was a super group effort. I would say yeah. to sort of, you know, set it in my crazy story, but really have it be this sort of treatise on group behavior and cultic thinking and connecting these dots for people. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and, and yeah, I don't want to dismiss like the, the group that you, you did this with because like, you know, it's just so detailed and like, I could, I could practically feel like I was in the places that you were talking about. Like I, I felt like I was there when you're describing like the different places you lived and like, you know, the trees and the fruit and, you know, the, the experiences, which sometimes I was like, Whoa. Um, but it was, it was, it was beautifully done, beautifully done. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think that's so poignant because this is the inspired woman podcast <laughs> is you know, I, I set about to do with this co-writers merely, I think to me from an academic perspective, I was mm -hmm. like, I see what's happening in the world and in America, I see a cult leader leading America and I know I need to get this done in yes. two years. And I also know it will take me 10 years to learn how to do it well by myself. Um, and a big part of that is because when you go through these group experiences, you're changed. You don't know how mm -hmm. to describe that anymore to people that haven't been through those group experiences. Yeah. And, you know, it ended up, I did this to more quickly write a, a better book. And it ended up, I think, being this beautiful experience of 
Like none of us know how to tell our own stories. None of us know how to deal with our own like traumas and hurts. Mm -hmm. And we all think that our pain is unique. You know, great James Baldwin quote, right? We think we know, oh, I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically, we think we know the most about pain in the world. And then we read. Yeah. And it's like, so, you know, I had literally had somebody say to me, oh, I don't know if there's a market for your stories because I don't know if a nice girl from Milwaukee that has never had anything bad happen to her can relate to growing up in a sex cult or to being a woman in the military. And so I was like, "Hmm, I don't know if there's such a thing as a nice girl from Milwaukee who's never had anything bad happen to her. Right. But, But what I need to do is I need to be able to sort of put all my experiences down and then have, you know, I like to say, like, I have these women that were my key market audience. Yeah. Ask me, ask me 10,000 hours of questions and then help me explain it. Yeah. And isn't, isn't that like what we all do or we all wish we could do with our girlfriends and our support systems is like, tell them this awful thing that happened to you or this awful thing that you did. Yeah. Um, you know, so very good example, I think, in the book of this time where I'm having a an affair with a married officer. And mm-hmm. I always saw that as like this awful, awful thing that I did. And it yeah. wasn't until I started telling this story and we started talking about the power dynamics of the thing. Mm-hmm. And some somebody literally had to tell me, you know, oh honey, he targeted you, you know, like yeah. and it it shifts how we look at everything and literally how the story is told in in the book. Right. And so sorry, yeah. not to belabor that point. Right. Oh, but I think no. uh, you know, a lot of people don't talk about co-writers or help or whatever. And I had a complete perspective shift on that, where I was like, and people are like, how did you write this book? I'm like, I didn't do it alone. Like, <laughs> yeah. These, I had these amazing women that were part of helping me sift through these stories and like, show it a hundred percent through my eyes, but Mm -hmm. written in a way that someone like you, who is maybe a nice girl from Milwaukee can feel feel like they're walking through it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Not a nice girl from Milwaukee, but I get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. I mean, yes. Even though I haven't gone through the same thing, I was able to, um, to, to really, to really see and feel I mean, not completely feel what you went through, but like understand it because I have, I've never been through that. And and part of the podcast has always been to hold space for people's um, experiences and journeys, because like you said, you know, you have these people who are like, I, I don't know. I've never been through anything. I'm not inspirational. And I say, every woman has a story that'll inspire somebody else because we've all been through something. There is no woman out there that has never been through anything in their life. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we are all living in the world as members of an oppressed class. So like yeah. we've all gone through something, you know, and I, I like to say like, well, maybe you, think you can't imagine what growing up in a sex cult is like until you read uncultured but <laughs> like every probably every american like grown woman can imagine that they at one point were like angry or scared and wish they had different parents or a fairy godmother to like show up and take them away and yeah that's why 
Disney is a billion dollar industry, right? Exactly. And it's like, so with my writing and my team, what we try to do is like appeal to that level of emotions, right? Like the, the fear I was feeling in that basement in chapter five is the same level of fear that you have felt Mm -hmm. in other occasions in your life as a girl and a woman. So, you know, like emotions and, you know, not for nothing, you get through lives as traumatic as mine by really disassociating. And so actually connecting the right emotions back into your story and into your writing is something I needed a lot of help with. And it helped me to process my own trauma. I mean, that's what EMDR has helped me with (laughs) is processing my trauma because you're right. You get disassociated and and you could talk to it other people and they kind of look horrified. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you've been through that. And you're just like, oh yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I completely understand that. And that has happened a lot. People are just like, oh my God, how are you functioning? And you're like, well, I just keep going every day. Yeah. Your brain does these amazing things to protect you. And so that you can keep functioning. I'm not saying it it happens to everybody because they absolutely can turn against you. I mean, I have bipolar disorder, so obviously it has turned against me, but to allow to be able to keep living with that trauma, your brain can do amazing things. I mean, I think about dissociative identity disorder where your brain literally, like you have all these different people inside your head to protect you. Um, And it's just, it's fascinating how that happens. And other people like just can't understand because they, they've never been to that point where their brain has had to say, we got to shut this down because otherwise you're not going to survive. Yep. And uh, yeah, there's a, a story. Uncultured is the book that has a little bit of everything. Uh, so there's definitely a little story about the brain shutting you down when it just becomes too much. Yeah. And you and, detail uh, that quite well, where you talk about like how you, like, I don't want to say process, but how you dealt with it. Like you, you talk about how, like, this is what I did. And and then I just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. And it, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, I, I like to, I think sometimes push back against the survivor resiliency narrative mm-hmm. um, because, you know, what doesn't kill you actually usually scars you for life and comes yeah. back and tries again. And, you know, it's not, um, you know, I think Uncultured is a very, very intense story. I think it mm-hmm. has a very happy ending. You know, I it does. <laughs> I live a lovely life with lovely people, but I I don't get to go back and have a childhood, right? Yeah. I don't, I'm not, you know, people read it and be like, oh, I'm glad you're okay now. And it's like, no, it, you know, when I broke, like I broke, you know, and yeah. I'm still deal with the repercussions of that all the time. And I think we're only now starting to see this discussion about how sometimes the survivor narrative is a little bit harmful, you know, uh, Mm. to this idea that like, you always have to be okay. And I think that was a big part of what I explore in the book that was like, I, I really always thought that I could 
I would get to some point, you know, I left the call, I got dumped in America when I was 15 with $0 and clawed my way up, of course, with tons of white privilege and other kinds of things. But right. I got to the point where I was like, I really thought that one day I could put it all behind me. I could mm-hmm. literally run fast enough. I could be, you know, a captain in the U.S. Army and nobody will question that I am a success story. And then you achieve all that and you discover you still have to live in your own head. And your own head doesn't care that you're a captain in the army. It cares that you have all this trauma that you have just pushed down forever. And when Um, people read the book, they will see eventually it did. It just all, it all like, it all impacted you. And like you said, it, it broke you. And I'm not going to give away details because people need to read the book, but like, literally read the book to find out when you got to that point and what happened, like it impacted you severely. Yes. Yes. And you do talk about some people who never left, like what, what it must be like for them. Like, you know, you, you know, people, you have family members who didn't leave, like, you know, there are people that, I mean, stayed and, and how that might be like, and, it's, it's just an amazing story, but I, I want to, I do want to talk about like the kind of bullshit that you dealt with, uh, writing this book. Uh, there was drama. Yeah. So, (laughs) all right. Um, you know, I have, I have a couple communities. I have the, we call ourselves cult babies, which is, Mm -hmm you know, to differentiate from cult survivor, because there's so much judgment for people that join cults. Um, There's even a lot of judgments for people that don't leave the cults they were born into the second they turn 18. Um, So we have these closed communities where we try to support each other, but also Mm -hmm. as goes with trauma survivors trying to support each other, lots of drama. Um, And I would say anytime anyone writes a tell-all story about their family, their family is upset. And mm-hmm. my family had about a hundred thousand members, <laughs> um, yeah. literally the family. And so obviously there's sort of drama and there's hard stuff with that, but as a, as a writer. And I think as a like woman making that decision, that side is a little easier to deal with because Mm. people don't give a lot of credence to cult survivors. So, you know, they can kind of cry all they want about my representation of it. And it's, here's my story. Um, I think what has been much, much scarier for me and what has created much more drama is the veteran side. Because Mm. again, anytime you vulnerably tell your story about your family, your family is upset. And now Mm. my family is the Department of Defense, the largest organization in the world, bar none. And um, we have the slight matter of you know, anytime someone has to congratulate you on being brave, that's Mm -hmm. because they know how much you're going to suffer. Yeah. So 
you know, this book starts off as a cult book and ends up as I think a pretty stunning indictment of rape culture in the U S army, hopefully makes you question every group you've been in along the way. But of course, many, 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 especially male veterans mm-hmm. are going to be very upset with this characterization. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, just I think to say is that, you know, the word cult is a slur. The word cult has mm-hmm. no academic sort of definition that's agreed upon because it's one of those things that shuts down the conversation, right? It's mm-hmm literally like you and I having an intense debate about whether or not I actually am a bitch. Um, <laughs> right. Most people have called you. <laughs> right. That's why I put a chapter called I'm the bitch in the book. Um, but you know, what's more important is to look at like, do these systems of control and do these systems of power, like go towards toxicity and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, at this point, am very, very, very well-versed in how rape culture works in the military, and yeah. they are not. They, you know, whether it's the privilege that because you're a straight white man that got to the top, you never had to see it, mm-hmm. or whether it's because you're one of the predators and you don't want to admit it, right? right? It's, it's very, very hard for them to look at anyone calling attention to the downsides of the group. And from the very beginning that I started speaking out about my experience about three years ago, I have had attacks from the military and I've had a lot of, you know, people that try to discredit me and, and people that try to question me and it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also, I would say, something we planned, you know, I'm not nobody saying army culture is harmful. I am award from the president helped made history for women. You go out with me on those patrols. Yes. The only woman in uncultured, you see that environment and every male veteran knows in their heart of hearts that Mm -hmm. if that was their woman out there with those 25 guys, they would have been as worried for me as the three captains that pulled me aside and warned me to watch my back. Mm-hmm. And like, we really, you know, I try to take you there in the book and like, none of us at the time stopped to really think about this thought. Like, mm-hmm. why are we afraid that 25 It's like, I'm going out with five dudes that are all troublesome, that people are worried about boys will be boys. Right. They're worried. They're validly worried for me that 25 American soldiers are going to gang rape someone while out on patrol. Mm -hmm. The Marines, when the Marines, someone first asked to allow a woman to be on the team because like, it's killing us not having women. We need it. They were like, we have one woman and the general who, you know, is now glorified for saying yes to this was like, no, you can't have one female. That's too dangerous for her. You can have two. Oh my God. And it, I mean, but this is the exact same attitude that was in the sex cult, Mm -hmm. right? It was like, we don't talk about what's going on. 
It doesn't mm-hmm. happen here. There's literally that rape did not exist in the sex cult because you are supposed to give your body to whomever. Right. And when it does happen, you definitely don't talk about it. And that's the same attitude in the military. And mm-hmm. it, even when we do think about it, it's like, how can Daniela protect herself out there with these 25 guys? Right. Which that was right. my question. When I'm pulled aside as a 23 year old lieutenant with zero combat training, and I'm told, hey, these 25 Ranger guys might be dangerous to you. Like, my question was just like, and you expect me to do what? Right. Right. Like, I, I can take maybe two of them with my assault rifle before they get me right like right like even the even the concept of like warning women is just so broken and caveat to say the infantry team I was on was amazing treated me like a sister we yeah I I was you explain that really well in the book (laughs) yeah and I that was one of the best teams I was on but that's kind of beside the point right Mm -hmm. that like nobody knew that. And still exactly, I'm being sent out and it's my job to come up back home, not raped. Yeah. And, and I'm supposed to now be confident that even though I can't trust them not to rape me, I can trust them to have my back in a firefight. Yep. It's wild. Uh, my spouse has uh, military experience. He was in for a very, very long time. And, uh, when I was talking to, I'm reading this and I'm coming out and I'm like towards the end of the book where you talk about the military and I'm coming out and he not surprised at all. Like, not at all. Like he was just like, yeah, he was a a sapper victim advocate, which is like a sexual assault prevention. And he, I remember he came home one time and he was in tears because, uh, he, the victim advocates, they kind of, they, um, they stay along with the person who was sexually assaulted, right? Helps them get the resources, pretty much will hold their hand in the hospital, like whatever the, the they want, like the person who was sexually assaulted wants or needs, they're there for them. And he was in tears. He was, I mean, she told him the entire story, everything that happened. And he, he was just so broken by it. And he knew, logically, he knew this stuff happens. Like he, I mean, he's not one of those, you know, dudes that are like, this never happens in the military. Like it's not stupid. He knows. Um, And I think the most heartbreaking thing was she didn't want her career ruined. So she didn't go after the people who did it. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, I was just having this conversation on Twitter today, right? Where it's like, so there was an article just today about how research shows that soldiers are likely to be confined pre-trial mm-hmm. for drugs eight times more than for rape. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just like, and this ties in exactly like in the military, in the army, which is what I can speak to. There used to be a saying like, oh, if you want to make Sergeant Major or Lieutenant Colonel or sort of whatever vertical you were in, like you can't make it without two DUIs. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And about 10 or 15 years ago, the army was like, that's it. We're done with DUI and drugs. And they just made it unacceptable 
Mm-hmm. Like it is just unacceptable. Every soldier gets told every Friday before they are released from duty in the entire United States army, don't drink and drive. Mm-hmm. And when we ask them to also add, like, don't rape people onto there, they think it's a joke. And mm-hmm. we are trying to tell them like, no, as soon as you choose, this is a high control environment. As mm-hmm. soon as you choose to end tolerance for this, it ends, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as the good men, like your husband and my husband, see it, right? Because first, privilege is when you don't have to notice things, right? Like, like my husband served in the army for 20 years and never noticed that like the helmets are not built for women, which means when you lie down to shoot, it's literally impossible. And yes, that's used to rape us, by the way. And so it's like, they don't see it. They don't notice, but as soon as they notice, right, they're the ones in power. They're the ones the system is built for. They're the ones that can speak up. You know, I, I can get on my soapbox for 20 minutes about sexist jokes. But when my six foot two blonde, blue eyed husband, special operations, helicopter pilot retired, looks at a dude and is who makes a sexist joke. And is like, come on, dude, we're better than that. Right. Like that dude never makes that joke again. Right. You know, and like this, this whole thing that everyone calls, oh, cancel culture. Like what? I can't make jokes anymore. It's like, no, you cannot act completely inappropriately anymore or it will end your career. And, you know, I, when I left the army, I went to Microsoft and I was a captain. Like I was a, a ranking officer. And I went from that to a like job where I was an assistant at Microsoft and I went on a business trip and I got home and I was like, why do I feel so weird? And I was like, oh, because in like an entire week of just Microsoft executives whining and dining, like nobody sexually harassed me once. And that felt so weird coming from the military. Yeah. It does feel weird when you're so used to a toxic environment and, and these toxic behaviors. When it's not happening, you're like, this doesn't seem normal. Like I grew up in a household that was verbally and emotionally abusive. And I didn't realize it as a kid, right? Because that was my normal. Like I I ended up in an abusive relationship as a young adult because that was my normal. Tell and it was and it was yes exactly you could totally relate on a whole different level and then I took a domestic violence training and I'm like sitting through it and I'm like holy shit I've been abused like literally my entire life like and it just dawned on me like that was it was such a normal experience to me that anything that was different seemed weird like when I married my spouse and he wouldn't <laughs> he wouldn't like engage me like when I would I, I would get angry and I would yell and stuff like that he wouldn't engage me I was like what is wrong with him <laughs> yeah yeah yep. well you know and this like this becomes relevant to what we're talking about with both both of these communities right because mm-hmm. with my with the the children of God, sex cult specifically, obviously everything hinges on the sex cults. Right. And so there's this kind of divide, like if you were sexually abused or you weren't sexually abused and people look at it, like if you were raped, now you can say you were harmed by growing up in the children of God. But if you just had to grow up reading the manual of pedophilia for God and how to be gang raped, like you're fine. And, And so that's why I, you know, 
was careful to put it in my book where like we grew up in religious prison camps. Like the sexual yeah. abuse was obviously significant, but that's a very small part of, as you said, like growing up as a child in an abusive environment. And like, you cannot even understand. Um, and then that's the same thing on the military side. You know, I cannot tell you how many senior military women have said to me like, Oh my God, like, I'm sorry, your experience was so heartbreaking, but you know, I got lucky. I never experienced any of that. And I'm just like, oh, so you you joined after 2016? I'm like, oh no, you know, I, I commissioned in 2004. I'm like, oh, so you commissioned at a time when they literally looked your vagina in the face and then slotted you into a lesser status because you owned a vagina. And you are telling me with full confidence that you have never experienced discrimination, right? <laughs> like, right. Literally the day you entered the military, your gender became more salient than it ever had before. And every decision ever made after that was because you're a woman, including yeah. the decision to ban sex during deployment, which I sort of give you this micro focus on as a way that regulations can really, really be uh, used to oppress people and you know it's so sex is banned on deployments which of course of course i think we can all just see is going to lead to rape and harassment yeah but they call it good order and discipline and they ban sex during the deployment and so of course that leads to just like all of these things uh so my my spouse uh was in the Navy and he was on submarines and to prove not prove your point about sexism in the military, but to highlight it, it was only about four, five years ago that they started letting women serve on submarines. And still it's not on every submarine still. It's, I mean, yeah. cause only certain submarines are actually built to have co-ed like the newer submarines, not even every newer submarine is being built to be co-ed. Right. And it started with officers, female officers, and then now female enlisted can be on these certain boats. Uh, I, nobody can see me put it in quotation, but it's not every submarine. And that's how long it took. Like, yeah. He, yeah. He so joined until... in like 2003, like, <laughs> yeah. And so this is actually, so in 2011, right, we were doing those combat patrols and it was an experiment. It was undocumented. It was mm -hmm. very like either plausible deniability or they expected it to fail. I'm not sure. Right. Um, by 2013, the combat ban was repealed. And then they had to implement it throughout the entire armed forces by 2016. So yeah. basically until 2016, you still had just straight up legalized gender discrimination exactly. in the military. And for people to think that doesn't matter, like when I was in the army, it was a common, if not daily topic of conversation if women were good enough to be in the army, mm -hmm. daily topic of conversation, including fun things like, well, women could never do X, Y, Z. Well, I mean, Captain Mestinet could do it, but she's not really a woman. <laughs> right. And then like, 
and, and again, for those people that don't see how like categorizing people leads to stack ranking, leads to them being the enemy, leads to what does the U.S. Army do with their enemy? Find, fix, and finish, right? Mm-hmm. This is what happens to women. And, and they can't really see that, right? And as soon as you get rid of these regulations... First of all, we're allowed into the room to prove that we're good enough. We don't know what you all were so scared of that you had to have right. so many bans because if we truly couldn't do it, obviously that proof would show as right. evidenced by the fact that we've never had to ban men from giving birth to babies, right? <laughs> um, like, so, you know, as soon as they removed that ban a couple of years later, I think it was last year. So in 2021, the leadership finally came out and they were like at the very tops of the military national level. They were like, this debate is done. If you are caught, like women are here to stay. And if you are questioning this, like action will yeah. be taken. Right. Like, and, and so now, right. The, the 22 year old lieutenants and the 18 year old privates that are trying to like not only be good soldiers, but also fight this entire other invisible war of being in an extremely sexist organization. Like they don't have to put up with hearing those conversations every day in the office. Right. Like, yeah. So it absolutely changes. Right. As we know, like separate, but equal doesn't work. And as soon as you remove regulations that ban humans, like things change very quickly. And the military mindset is so ingrained that even military spouses are guilty of fighting against women being in the military. Like the arguments I have gotten into about women being on submarines. I'm like, this is mind blowing. These are women fighting with me about women being on submarines. And I'm just like, I, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, but that's how ingrained the military mindset and the military culture is that even spouses will come to just be full force in it. Yes. And that, you know, that's one of the things. So that's one of the things I found when I wrote this book and I was trying to sell this book. And one of the things is like, nobody reads stories about women veterans. And, you know, in the meantime, I'm doing this master's in group behavior at Harvard. And I find literally find the research about how like, Women in the military invented this concept for psychologists of the third gender, right? And it's exactly mm-hmm. what I talked about. Like the day you enter the military, you're defined by your gender. And mm-hmm. like they literally call us females, which is how we talk about other species, like not right. how we should talk about humans. And we're, we're separated out from the beginning. And we are like to our male colleagues, we are too feminine. And our entire mm-hmm. job in the military, first and foremost, is to make you forget that we're, that we are women so that you'll let us do our jobs. Yeah. But then to the outside world, we are so masculine, mm-hmm. right? And this, this quote that I gave you in the book that like women in the military are either bitches, sluts, or dykes. Like, yep. I feel like the American population has heard like that oh, yeah. sentiment, right? And that was part of the problem. It was part of why I was like, I like, we are just women. We just chose a different career than you did. Right. And like the parallel that I try to show you in my story is like, we are all daughters of America and 
most of you know one of us that from high school or college that joined the army or the military and then like we once we disappear behind these high commune walls of the department of defense like do you know about what happens to us afterwards do you know what our life is like do you know like what it's like to be a woman to be a sister in the band of brothers like right i promise you we are not the ones out to get your husbands right, right. <laughs> I, pro I promise you whatever amount of sexism yeah. you deal with in your civilian workplace like whoa boy you know yeah um yeah we're we're certainly not the enemy and actually one of my because i did go from being captain mestinek to being mr young the combat pilot's wife right and i actually did quite a few events that were like bringing <laughs> women in the military and military spouses together um to like paint drink wine and realize that we are all women first um which by the way is the same thing they forget when they try to do veteran programs and then they're yep. like why don't the women show up and you're like looking around and you're like there's a dude with a beard and a t-shirt and a bucket of beer dude with it times five like right and you just you just look at them and you're like host events that attract women like, yeah that's how you get women veterans exactly yeah how did uh by the way how did those uh paint and sips go because in my head i feel like they would go really wrong <laughs> i mean they went well but again i think this this speaks to the experience and this speaks to the books and this speaks to the, all the vet bros that are trying to attack me like yeah i can host an event that's about women veterans and military spouses coming together and putting the bullshit right. behind them because i am both of those things exactly right and so that's the same where i can write a book about how the u.s army is pretty much like a sex cult yeah and does that piss off the Vepros? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Do I get death threats and rape threats and expect a lot more? Absolutely. But do any of them have the experience to say that my examples that I show you that I, you know, which is the great thing about writing a memoir, right? It's like, I'm not here. We're talking about ideas and I'm making arguments, but in the story, like I'm just showing you. Right these parallels and these examples. And we worked hard to make those really good parallels. And most, you know, the readers are getting it. Uh, Publishers Weekly is obviously getting it. And uh, Rolling Stone well, is well, getting well, it. Rolling, <laughs> Rolling Stone Magazine thought one of the chapters was really good, as many of yeah. you have read this last weekend. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, it's, um, and, and a good story that I think you'll appreciate was like, even, you know, a month or two before publishing, like had the, the military bullying going around on Twitter. And it's like two things. One is that like, when a woman veteran is coming out strong with these stories and the vet bros start attacking me, it looks like the military trying to shush me to outside right. people, which I know because group dynamics. Right? Yeah. And, you know, for any woman that speaks out loud and has a voice, as you know, like we get attacks, we get disgusting things hurled at us. But the last couple of times it's happened to me, I have a presale link for my book. 
right? So for every five awful tweets somebody makes about me, someone else is like, wait, someone wrote a book about what? That sounds <laughs> fascinating, right? And I'm like, okay, I can take five bad tweets for like selling a book, you know? So yeah. they're just sort of doing my work for me. Um, Don't they say like, uh, oh, what? how do they say it? It's something like... Um, Ah, something about public relations, like you're, you know, all the attention is good attention because like, even if it's bad and they're talking shit about you, the people who want to like understand what you went through are interested, like, oh, that sounds really fascinating. Well, thank you. You now got eyes on my book and I'm going to sell more. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And that, you know, this is, I guess the thing I've had to learn, right? Like when you're placing op-eds in national media about how rape culture in the United States glorified army is as bad yeah. as in this notorious sex cult, like a third of America just automatically is going to hate you. Oh but, yeah. Hey, but Hey, like another third is not going to care. And another third is going to look at your book and that's a hundred million people. So, right. you know, um, this is what I kind of, I've, I've actually heard this third, third, fifth, third thing. I don't know if you've heard it before, but no, if you're doing like, if you're in the right place in your life, right? Like a third of your time should be really hard. A third of your time should be pretty much easy. And then a third of your time should be like bringing you benefits and you know, Oh, wow. Like if you're, I I feel like I've had half and half right now. Like, I feel like that's my life right now. Half and half. But I can yeah, see so it. I feel like I feel like sometimes you have to do a lot of like really hard years before you start returning benefits. Right. Um, but that, you know, I, I even think that's like kind of a cool way to to where we started and how this tied in. It's like, well, now when I have these angry colonels coming at me and being like, oh, you're just a captain. What do you know? And I'm like, sir, I lived in your world. I saw things that you couldn't see. I went and got a graduate degree from not a, a bad university. Yeah, not at all. To, to contextualize all this. And then I learned how to talk about my story and how many other women have dealt with these same things and to write it in a way that people see these parallels. So actually, yes, I will hold up my experience to your 20 or 30 years of just surviving in the army, right? Right. Like, um, well, so, so that's been, I think an, an interesting part of this, right? Not that it's not scary and I don't want to minimize like every single time you get a death threat and a rape threat, like, oh yeah, it, it ruins your day. It's awful. It's scary, but it's also for me a little bit, I think like you can't imagine the worst things I've been through. Well, now you can, cause I've given you some of them in this, book, right. but like, <laughs> This is my dissertation. I created this and linked it all together and the parallels are pretty solid and people get it, right? And that yeah. sort of, I think the whole point of this book is literally just to make people be like, huh, I never would have thought there were any similarities between these two groups. And now that I've seen it, I'm gonna question every group you're in. Yeah, and my goal is to get people walking into every group they're in, marriage and up, and be like, "Is this a cult?" And the like, way. if you if you've thought about it even once, right? Like, you're going to be more aware of the toxic dynamics in your life, or just just like the potential, right? Because that's how people get into cults. Like, nobody joins a cult; they join an awesome group 
and then like slowly it breaks down and slowly the logic breaks down and we don't spend hardly any time in our culture talking about how that happens which of course is why we're living through the culting of america yes yes we are yes and i see it every day on social media and i'm just like oh my god <laughs> how oh, can trust me. logically yeah, trust think me. this makes sense <laughs> People keep telling me, like, I get so many congratulations on being so lucky with my timing. And it's kind of like the same as they would call me the witch when I predicted things in Afghanistan using intelligence. I'm like, right. no, no, I knew many years ago when I watched a cult leader extremism his way into being the president of America. Like, right. I knew where we were going. Yes. Y'all called, called me Cassandra and didn't listen. Now my timing is very lucky, but like, um, which I, I find this fascinating too, that it's like as trauma survivors and especially as cult survivors or people from sort of toxic organizations, we get stuck in survivor narrative, right? Like you give us the path to surviving and I do, I do the interpersonal stuff in uncultured, but it's also, there's this like well, I have a fundamentally different view of organizational dynamics than most people, right? Because most people didn't start learning how to get along with their manager until they were like 16 to 22, right? And right. Like, I was a boss at dealing with my manager when I was two years old. You know, I mean, so, so I was in trouble yeah. a lot as you, as you will read, but you know, so, so we grow up, you know, the same way that like, children of alcoholics are good at influencing people in the workplace um, yeah. or manipulating them. You know, children from these groups that grew up only being allowed to have a group identity, like our, our spidey sense about toxic stuff in groups mm -hmm. and how it happens with nobody noticing it is very heightened. Yes. Um, to the point that actually a lot of us have trouble being in groups because you're all cults. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hell, I was a beach body coach for several years. So, oh, so you know. <laughs> I so do you know. know. <laughs> but just... you know, I, I think it's interesting how you know, I don't know if you've heard this phrase in like individual psychology or self-help where they're like humans are 99% the same, but it's that 1% different that causes all the stress and problems in the world. And I'm like, that's the same thing for groups, right? Anytime you put two or more people together with a shared mission, you've sort of created this group DNA. And yeah. so what that means is no matter how amazing your groups are, trust me, I'm in a lot of amazing groups, but they're all still 1% away from being a sex cult that traffics children, right? And, and like- the sex cult you explained did not start out as a sex cult. <laughs> it did not. I, I always say, like, it went from love, faith, Jesus to religious prostitution, pedophilia for God, and the apocalypse. And it did that over a period of 10 years or more, right? Like, yeah. it's not, like, quickly. And people are, you know, really, when we set out to write this book, and my co-writer said, the most amazing thing to me, which I think is the number one advice to anyone ever thinking about telling their story. And she said, this book is not about you. Nobody cares about you. This book is about one idea. And our one idea was 
this psychology group psychology concept that human beings will do almost anything to be accepted by members of the group that they're a voluntary member of. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can show you that in cult world. And I can show you that in army world. And then hopefully for the reader, you know, once you see those parallels, you, you go forth and call all of your groups cults. (laughs) One one of the signs is if you can laugh about it, you're probably okay. But like, I can laugh because I literally was, I mean, in one type of a cult. So like now that I'm removed from it, I'm like, holy shit. And I was going to say, do Beachbody coaches laugh if you call them a cult or do they get Oh, no, they get angry. Yes. Very defensive. Any MLM, you call it out, they're going to be like, no, we're not like that. I'm like, but every single one is. (laughs) And, And that's one of those things I really found in studying, right? Was like, I did organizational psychology because I was like, oh, I can help people not build toxic patterns into their companies, not promote toxic leaders, do the actual things behind having people first companies. Mm -hmm. Like, like in every, almost every class I took, it was like, so we're going to talk about all of these things about leadership and like over here, nod, nod, nod is the dark triad of leadership, narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism. And like, we'll get back to that. And we never get back to it. And we never talk about the downsides. And I understand that's because it's really hard to make money telling people that they're a cult. Um, But, you know, like the question is always like, how did we get here? And it's like, well, you didn't pay attention. Like good, good and evil are two sides of the same coin, right? Like values can be positive or negative like any and all values even love she says from the sex cult right like it it can be used wrong and so I noticed that like yeah no organization likes to be compared to a sex cult that traffics children Mm -mm. I completely understand why that pisses people in the U.S. Army off but like if you can just sit with that for a little bit and I don't really give you a choice in uncultured because I just show you the parallels right there. Exactly. And, and then like, you're gonna, you're gonna do better in yep. either making your groups better or spotting the toxic patterns and getting mm-hmm. out. Yes. Well, Daniela, the time is up. <laughs> People need to get the book if they want to read what you're talking about, because you did talk about the general ideas, but it is a different experience reading the experiences you went through. And in in the book, you do you see it. It's 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 impossible not to see it unless you really like are just no, no, I've got my blinders on. I don't want to see it. Um, But as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Hmm. Um, I would say, don't let anyone tell you what you can't do. Right. I was told so many times that this project would never work. And here it is 
coming out tomorrow. It worked and it's been hard. It's been so hard, but I'm also getting most of what I want in life out of it. So, yes. you know, I think that is what I want to leave everyone with. Just you can prove people wrong by proving them wrong. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. This has been so great. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.